Southeast Radio's morning mix. Chat, news, and your views. Alan Corcoran. Good morning to you, Des. Good morning, Alan. Thanks a million for inviting me on. We had a bit of a, 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 a discussion last night myself and the good lady wife as to who was going to read okay. your book because when she picked it up she couldn't put it down likewise with me. Fascinating Wexford History Volume 3. Um, it's a riveting read, Des. Where are Thanks. you getting the stories from? How do you collate them? How do you get them? Oh my God. Well, I, I go to, into the newspaper archives. I go online. I go into old books and library books whatever, you know, this one story leads to another, I find, you know, one gets more riveting, as you say, than, than the next, you know. I'm looking at a bomber, a German bomber flying over you, Ross, I'm looking at the front page here, I'm looking at uh, Michael Collins' face jumping out at me, and uh, I'm also yeah. looking at the various stories, and I've picked three, and you've picked three okay. as well, so I'm going to start with Sergeant Gunther Schutz, who parachuted into Ireland in 1941. Share this story with us, or what are appetites? The very man, Gunter shoots. he mistakenly parachuted into County Wexford instead of County Gildare. This was uh, during the war in 1941. Now, he landed in darkness near Ballycolan, but he was picked up next morning by the Gardaí from Carrickburn. Now, he was found carrying a radio transmitter, a microscope, and a load of cash. Later on, being held in Ar- Arbor Hill, Schutz was asked what the microscope was for. Now, he claimed to be a South African stamp collector. His interrogator said, Go away, you didn't bring a microscope all the way from Germany by parachute to collect stamps or to examine stamps even. He escaped um, the following year from um, Mountjoy Jail dressed as a woman. Mm-hmm. He was hiding in the home of Cahoebrew's widow in Rathmines and planned on making his way back to Germany wow. on a boat out of Bray. Yeah. But he was captured and held in an internment camp in Athlone until the end of the war. He was offered um, asylum in Ireland in 1946 and married a Dublin nurse, Una Mackey, who he'd been courting in Athlone. They settled in Hamburg for a few years, but returned to Ireland in the 60s and eventually ran the Clogger Bay Hotel near Arklow. You may remember, Alan. I, I do indeed. I yeah. remember yeah, I quite do. well. Yeah, yeah. But that's that story in a you know, very in condensed format. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because you don't want to give them too much information because you want them to go out and buy the book and read the, the you stories. Have to buy the book. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Now, it's a great read for 15 euros. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not giving it all away on, on the radio. Look, the, the next but, one I picked was Dr. Yeah. George Haddon, who was. I would have known because he was a very distinguished man, a very, very tall man. Um, uh, And he walked 10,000 miles in China. Give us the the, the background to this story, Um, please, Des. Well, now, the background to the colourful Dr. George Haddon. In 1914, a tabloid newspaper in Chicago ran with this headline, Walked 10,000 miles through China wilds searching for lost wife and child. And the story was picked up by other publications across the U.S., now, the article claimed that the good Dr. Haddon spent three years searching for his family, but he was seven foot four inches tall and a great pedestrian. Well, he had to be, 10,000 miles. In reality, now, Dr. Haddon was more like six foot four in height, and yes, he led an extraordinary life. Dr. George's grandfather, also George, founded the Haddon Straightbody business, well remembered in Wexford, and now Shaw's on North Main Street. This was in 1848, and his brother John ran the medical hall across the street from Haddon's. Dr. George's father, yet another George, very confusing, ran the shop after the father died. But this George Haddon 
never got into the drapery business. Uh, the Haddons were a Methodist family, and he became a medical doctor. So George himself, his wife Helen, his brother Richard, and his sister Mary all served in the medical missionaries in China. I covered the doctor's adventures in China, but also in Siberia during World War I, when he was working for the American Red Cross to aid refugees of the Bolsheviks. He, he was fond of saying later that he commuted to work every day on the Trans-Siberian Railway. Wow. He later carried out more missionary work in Nigeria in the 1930s. Now, as, now, Brendan Howland kindly did the book launch for me last week in the book centre, and at the launch, I quote from him, he said, he lived, this is about Dr. Haddon, he lived a life of adventure that would put Indiana Jones in the Haveny place. Yeah. Yeah. He also found that a training hospital in Wuhan in China in 1923, and that became one of the world's first hospitals to treat COVID-19 last year. After retiring to Wexford, so-called retiring, Dr. Haddon founded the Wexford Male Voice Choir wow. in 1941, still going strong, and the Wexford Historical Society in 1944, also still in existence. As you say, the tall, distinguished Dr. Yeah. Haddon is well remembered for his long white beard striding the streets of Wexford Town. Right. Hands behind his back, and apparently he never wore socks. <laughs> I, I remember he, he him so well, Des. I remember him so well. Look, I don't want you to spoil any more of that story because again, okay, it's that's enough for that. Yeah, but yeah. I'm going to take one more and then get, let you get uh, one or two or three or whatever you want to go through just to, to, to give a little time. snapshot yeah. of them. Michael <clears throat> Collins. Then I, I mean, I, I still have a picture somewhere uh, taken from a newspaper of him with a Pierce bicycle. For, that's four right. months yeah. before his death, he arrived in Wexford on the 8th of April, 2021. Exactly. So with the 100th anniversary of the Civil War coming up next year, I had to include the account of Michael Collins' visit to Wexford in April 1922, as you say, four months before he was assassinated. Now, he used to speak at a rally in St. Peter's Square here in Wexford Town at 3 o'clock on Sunday, 9th of April. Special trains were running from Waterford and Dublin, and the sale of alcohol in the town was forbidden on the day, lest there be trouble. Collins had signed the treaty just four months earlier and a general election was coming up two months later in June. Michael Collins was now the Minister for Finance in the Provisional Government. The whole country, including Wexford, was split between pro and anti-treaty and he was rallying to garner support for the treaty. Trains into Wexford were disrupted with tracks torn up, roads blocked, trees by trees and telegraph wires cut all this by the anti-treaty IRA. However, Collins arrived by train at the Wexford station the night before and stayed in the Talbot Hotel. The next morning he went to Mass in the Franciscan Friary and after that paid a visit to Pierce's, as you say, famously photographed posing with the Pierce's bicycle. The rally went ahead that day in pouring rain and thunderstorms. He spoke from the steps of Cousins Mineral Water Building, you may remember, on P Peter yeah. Square. It's where Today, the Red Bookshop is now, Des. Yeah. Exactly, Wally yeah, okay. and Red Books. I have a nice photograph in the book of the building and the name Cousins and Company written across the front. So anyway, he got out of Wexford alive that night, but four months later, as you say, he was shot dead in his, in his own native county Cork. Yeah. That's it in a nutshell. All right, look, mm. time is catching up. I've got to go to Dr. Bill, so I'll let you pick one or two more to whet people's appetites. Off you go. Well, I'd pick one you mentioned there, that your good wife, um, 
Yes. Seems to fancy the one about the boiling the head. Okay, <laughs> that's a story about a Kalan. Won't for the people people after lunch here. I hope not. A Kalan woman named Catherine Lawler, a domestic servant. She was working in Victoria in London, and she murdered her employer, Mrs. Thomas, in eighteen seventy nine. Now Catherine was in trouble as a teenager around Enniscorthy and Gorey. Aged nineteen, she was jailed in Wexford for twelve months for stealing a dress from a shop. She stole money to pay her fare to Liverpool in 1867 and was in and out of English jails over the next 10 years. In Mrs. Thomas' house in Upmarket, Richmond-upon-Thames, Catherine got into a quarrel with her employer and pushed her down the stairs. She then decided to dismember the body and boil the body parts in a copper pot. Catherine disposed of the parts at various locations around London and buried the head beneath the floor of the stables at the rear of a pub two doors away from the house. She absconded to Ireland and was staying in the home of her uncle outside Killam, but police caught up with her and she was escorted by English detectives back to London. The case was a huge sensation in London. Even Madame Tussauds had waxworks made of what they called the Richmond Murderess. Catherine was tried, found guilty, and hanged at Wandsworth Prison. But Mrs. Thomas's skull was not discovered until 130 years later in 2010. The broadcaster David Attenborough has lived in the house between where the murder took place and the pub mm-hmm. since his marriage in 1952. Yeah. There was talk of the old pub being demolished to make way for an apartment block, so... David Attenborough bought it for a million pounds, as you do. <laughs> as you do. Some excava- as some excavation work was carried out, the skull was finally discovered. Now, I think, Alan, this is definitely <laughs> material for a murder mystery movie. Anybody <laughs> wants to take up Okay, I, I'm going to have to leave it for the moment. Yeah, just sure, yeah. people, just, look, it's been riveting, fascinating. And uh, I mean, uh, people are reading so much at the moment, and this is an absolute sure. gem. So if people want to access Great. it, where is it, on, where is it available? It's a, it's a good website. All the bookshops. Book. Oh, in all the bookshops. Book yeah, yeah. As, as Brendan Howland uh, said at the launch, you've solved the problem of of what to put on my Christmas present list. Yeah. <laughs> and I totally agree. <laughs> I think that picture about Michael Collins is actually down in the uh, na- the uh, m- museum in Johnstown Castle, by the way. It is, it and, is. And it I is. think they yeah, also yeah, have yeah. bicycles similar to the one that uh, Collins rode. That's so, right. Yeah, 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 in the museum. Th- th- that photograph with, with, the, with the bicycle was only found in 1967 in the drawer of a, a desk in Pierce's, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well done, Des. So enjoy that. Go. I hope the yeah. listeners enjoyed it as well. Yeah, great to talk to you. Des Keeley there, his brand new book, Fascinating Wexford History, Volume 3. Southeast Radio's Morning Mix. Chat, news and your views.